when the white settlers did arrive, they did bring disease and they did, they did you know, wipe, almost wipe out our culture. And so I really wanted to come up with an idea. It's like, well, what would reverse that? You know, what would set the bar at zero and start over? And so that, that was the idea for that. It's like, like uh, when the zombie, zombie virus breaks out and turns everyone into zombies, the natives are immune. And because of the natives, civilization would live on. Welcome to Deviate with Rolf Potts, where I talk with experts, public figures, and interesting people about fascinating topics that meander off topic. Today, since the Oscars are just around the corner, I talked with Rod Pokawatchit, a writer, producer, director, and actor who makes movies from an American Indian perspective. Now, you won't see Rod getting out of a limo to walk the red carpet in Hollywood this weekend. In fact, he doesn't even own a car since he saves as much money as possible from his day job as a journalist to make Native American zombie movies, Native American road trip movies, and Native American time travel movies. Rod is part Comanche, part Pawnee and Shawnee. He trained at the elite Sundance Filmmakers Lab many years ago, but instead of using that experience to parlay a career in Hollywood, he went back home to the middle of the country, to Kansas, and quietly began to make movies about the modern Native American experience, often using family members and other non-actors to play supporting roles. Now, you won't find these movies in your neighborhood's cineplex, so I've linked to them at the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. And in recent years, the Oscars have been a pretext to talk about and advocate for more diversity in Hollywood, and that's great. It's good to have more women and minorities in positions of creative power within the highest levels of the industry. But in the 21st century, diversity in filmmaking isn't just about race and gender inside Hollywood. It's about people from all corners of the country, from all backgrounds, telling their stories on their own terms, in their own hometowns, without the filter of Hollywood. Which is why I love the films of Rod Pokawatchit. These are no-budget DIY movies, and while they can be a bit jarring to watch aesthetically, especially if you're used to the smooth-edged production values of Hollywood, they tell stories from a perspective you just won't find anyplace else. Of course, Native Americans have appeared on the big screen for as long as there have been movies, but they're usually depicted in very narrow and stereotypical ways, either as stoic warriors from some bygone age, or as living allegories for oppression, injustice, and vanishing cultures. Whereas in Rod's movies, there's a normalcy and gentle humor to the Native Americans you see on the screen. Rod's Indians are family-oriented and proud of their heritage, yet fully modern city or town dwellers who are not always comfortable in nature and are a bit conflicted or even kind of nerdy in their attempts to relate to the world. These films touch on political issues without coming off as preachy, and while budget constraints make them rougher than your average Hollywood film, they're memorable and thought-provoking in ways that many Hollywood films aren't. I talked with Rod Pokawatchit at his home in Wichita, and he had a lot of insights to offer about do-it-yourself creativity, regardless of your background or art form, and about how to ignore the industry gatekeepers and embrace your creative visions on your own terms. Let's listen in. The American Indian in movies is such a common theme, but it's always like the shirtless warrior face painted. It is. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's... that's ex it's exactly why, like, one of my goals is to get more Native Americans represented in pop culture. And, and not just in, like, these type of stories, but, like, you know, like a, like a zombie movie. Or, or you know, like, uh, my last movie is a time travel movie. So, yeah, I, I want to I see us um, in more atypical stories that you wouldn't normally see. Like, things that like, cover this ground. Um, you know, I just want to see them represented just as people just trying to live their everyday lives, you know. Uh, which which I like. There's there's sort of a you know a, a character in your movies is much more likely to have a minivan than a horse. Right. <laughs> right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
Uh, and then, then there's some specific Kansas landscapes too that, um, like the plains has always been a motif in Western movies and in Indian movies, yet it yeah. is, there's a specificity to the landscapes you put in your movies that are not, that are very much the plains without being the iconic cinematic plains. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, also, I mean, I'm very, I'm very pro Kansas. I'm very pro Wichita, um, and I want to represent, you know, where I'm from and, and what I'm, a, you know, where I grew up. So that's, I think, that's a very conscious de decision that I try to try to represent. I try to have, I try to my work to have a sense of place, and um, that's that's where we are. So that's that's what I try to, you know, exhibit. Yeah. Well, let's just just so listeners know. Um, so you have four features. Four features. Yeah. Okay. So it's interesting, you mentioned your zombie movie. You actually have like diabetes uh, and alcoholism <laughs> are in there, but it, it tweaks those cliches. But, it, but it's, it's comedic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, so the yeah. immunity, basically, the has, has anybody, it seems it's such a genius idea for a movie. Has anybody else <laughs> written, a, again, so listeners know, it's basically, it's, it's a zombie apocalypse movie where Native Americans have immunity. Yeah. Uh, and then and there's sort of a, I don't know if you would call it a joke, but basically the same genes that, um, predisposed for alcoholism and diabetes are the same ones that save the, yeah, yeah, the characters yeah. from the from right. The yeah, yeah, something in their bloodstream uh, that that is uh, uh, you know typical for these symptoms uh, actually saves them. So it's yeah, I kind of wanted to reverse what uh, what what happens and what's typically said in, in movies and things like this. But uh, and yeah, and the idea for that. Um, for the Dead Can't Dance, the zombie film was that, you know, when the white settlers did arrive, they did bring disease and they did, they did you know, wipe, almost wipe out our culture. And so I really wanted to come up with an idea. It's like, well, what would reverse that? You know, what would set the bar at zero and start over? And so that, that was the idea for that. It's like, like uh, when the zombie, zombie virus breaks out and turns everyone into zombies, the natives are immune. And because of the natives, civilization would live on. And where did that idea come from? I want to talk about your other movies too, but there's something sure, no very problem. elegant about the about the native zombie movie. I mean, the your first movie is sort of a road trip movie. Oh yes, yeah, very road trip movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the second is almost like a short story. I mean, it, it's sort of character based. It's a little bit procedural. Um, yeah, it's much more intimate. It was a family drama uh, based on a tragedy, but uh, but yeah. So uh, the dead can't dance. I really was like, okay, <laughs> I love movies. You know, I I obviously love movies and. I see a movie and I was like, huh, how can I put my native spin on that? But uh, uh, Shaun of the Dead is my favorite zombie film of all time. And I was like, what do I, how can I make a native Shaun of the Dead? And so, and it's very comedic and it's very, yeah, and, and doing my research on zombie films, like they're all ton, they're tons of zombie films. I mean, there's even like zombie porn actually, <laughs> which is just ridiculous. But, but yeah, so like going through it, it's like I, the best zombie films were really about the survivors and not about what was happening. Um, so I really wanted to do that, and 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 Shaun of the Dead was was my biggest inspiration for that. So I really wanted to focus uh, on a family dy dynamic in a zombie film, and came up with the idea for the brothers and everything. But but I really did want to uh, sort of symbolize, uh, you know, without hitting people over the head with a message about you know like what if you know the initial thing happened with the white settlers and all that stuff. Like I said, but but also I wanted to. Um, just sort of explore like there's it's it takes place a lot of it takes place in a school and I really wanted to like sort of speak about how history was not taught quite exactly right in the school system and so yeah there's a lot of underlying things that aren't that aren't 
you know, uh, really just shouting out, but there's a lot of underlying things about it. Well, I noticed that while the characters are sort of sitting in the school waiting for somebody to come back with help, they're paging through textbooks. Yes, is exactly. Is that, that a very intentional? Yes, very intentional. And the, and the textbook is, is called Rewriting History. It's a mm -hmm. very specific prop that I wanted, that it was written into the script, yeah. An interesting nuance about that, though, is... Um, the, I think it's your character, Dax. Is it Dax, Dax in yes. that movie? Uh -huh. He says, um, and I might be misquoting it, but uh, now you can get sent to the principal's office for saying Indian. Now it's all politically correct. Native person, indigenous people, nothing's quite right. Right. Yes, yes. So in a way, yeah. it's that movie touches on the rewriting of history, but ev but also sort of wrestles with the idea that even rewritten history is still, there's an awkwardness. It's still being written. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's still being rewritten, actually, yeah, to, to try to get it right. But yeah, no, that's a very specific, yeah, it's a very specific line. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting, like, like our, 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 char our characters in this are, like, uh, our last name is Wild Horse. But in our real family heritage, uh, we had a descendant, we were a descendants of a man called Wild Horse. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a very personalness. I mean, the zombie movie, actually, there's family is important in all your movies. Yes. Um, I haven't seen Red Hand, the, your newest one. Right. But, um, which is just, you just came back from uh, L.A., some film festivals. Yeah, so. Los Angeles Skins Fest. Yes, okay. yes, yes. We just uh, had a premiere in there in November. Yeah. And the principal then, I, I want to stay on the zombie movie for a second, but sure. that's a time travel movie, right? It is. Also with a Native it, American It is, yeah. It's okay. a time travel movie, but yeah, yeah. Um, another interesting thing about the zombie movie is that the characters run into a gas station attendant who is uh, one-eighth. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's another interesting line, again, with the language about how we talk about identity in America. Um, Again, maybe I think it's Dax. He says, oh, you're one-eighth Indian. And, and he says, no, no, one-eighth Native American. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and so just the idea that the, the full-blooded characters are comfortable calling each other Indians. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. the, 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 the one-eighth Indian is, is a little bit twitchy about <laughs> right. how to... Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Is that, was that sort of a, a direct philosophical part of uh, how you wanted to deal with it? It is, kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. Because uh, as as Native people, I mean, we've always called ourselves Indians. I mean, you know, it's still, in, you know, like there's the American Indian Film Festival, there's, you know, things like things like that. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's sort of been, always been a joke and it's sort of an inside joke, you know, that uh, uh, Natives just sort of refer them refer to themselves as Indians. But it, it's just, it's just kind of a, yeah. <laughs> Well, one interesting thing about talking to you is that I, I just love the local specificity of your movies and, and being able to speak as a unique Indian voice from the middle of the country. Mm -hmm. But then also I know a lot of people in the cities who've maybe never met a Native American person before and might be nervous yeah. about what, if they can call a Native American person an Indian. So Indians call each other. But sure, I mean, yeah. how is that? Is it, could Indian, I mean, it was sort of an in-joke in the zombie movie, but could Indian be an offensive term if you if applied you know by a non you know I, I think I could see some people getting offended but um, I think to most native indigenous you know people it's uh, I think they've moved beyond it I think I can't speak for all of them <laughs> you know? just myself but you know I just think it's kind of funny how uh, touchy it is you know I mean you know but uh, it's it's just I just think we have bigger things to worry about well, we live in a time when language is, is being 
people are really trying to adjust their language yes. in, in ways that are earnest yes. and then maybe ways that are cynical. Sure, yeah. And but and we're also working at this granular level granular level social media type thing mm -hmm. where we chastise each other and, and encourage each other in this rarefied digital world without having without sitting in a room with each other. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So no, that's true. Um all right, so so the zombie movie, which again, it's like once I realized that you had a, a zombie movie based on the concept of, of the native people are, are immune, I, I was amazed that nobody else had done that already. It's such a great <laughs> idea, you know. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, uh, I did an interview with uh, uh, the Navajo Times, and in their article, it, it led off with um, if if you weren't proud of being native already. Uh, add immune to the zombie virus to the list, <laughs> which right. I thought was a great lead. Yeah, it was very funny. And it, and, it, and that movie has a lot of fun with that uh, concept. You know? Yes, thank you. I I that was my goal was to really have fun with it and 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 like I said, like have some underway underlying like you know um, commentary. Um, and the cool thing about zombie films is that they all sort of have commentary. I mean, you know, George A. Romero uh, spoke about, you know, commercialism and, you know, just uh, the dead are walking the earth and, you know, hell is full, you know. It's, so it's, 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 it's funny how zombie films just sort of lend themselves in general to, to, um, to having commentary, underlying commentary. But that's, that's kind of what I, another reason why I was drawn to tell a zombie story. One interesting thing to me uh, in that is that your character is wearing a property of Comanche Nation t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. And so let's talk a bit, I mean, sure. we talk about Native Americans or, or, or Native identity, but I mean, there's, I read there's 567 federally recognized yeah. tribes. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, a lot. And so specifically you're Comanche, Pawnee, and Shawnee. I am, right? yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, and so how did that, let's see, Comanche is like Texas, Southern Plains? It's Southern Plains, almost to Texas. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. And Pawnee is very much plains as well uh yeah 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 yeah. they're all yeah uh shawnees were eastern they were a woodland tribe uh but pawnees were originally from around nebraska somewhere around mm -hmm. there and then they migrated you know got migrated to oklahoma but yeah yeah uh, and so is there i know the characters in the movie are practicing their comanche language skills is there a comancheness to to that movie like i would i would never recognize if 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 you were to do if like, there was an Iroquois equivalent of the <laughs> of this zombie movie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, there's some intention, some intentional Comancheness to it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Would you say there's a Comanche sensibility in your work? Oh uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, that was very specific, um, and that was another sort of underlying commentary is that you know, for a while there, we you know people were tortured and you know punished for speaking their languages. So those languages started started to die out. So there's a whole generation of of us who grew up without speaking our languages and now trying to live, the, you know, trying to preserve them and learn them. And, and, and so, and, you know, the great thing about uh, modern day uh, tribes is that, you know, our, we have uh, our own uh, college and so they have tribal you know, language classes and things like so. Yeah, there's a whole generation of people that are just now coming around to to learning their languages. And, and it was funny, like uh, on the phone, like I writ, I wrote, I wrote in the script uh, the English 
version, but I said, you know, learn the Comanche part. And so like l literally minutes before we're, we're shooting, my, my brother's on the phone with my uncle saying, okay, so how do you say, get the, go get the car? You know, right? And so, okay, write it down before you forget it. But yeah, yeah, so it's, it's very, it's very specific. So uh, you and Guy, are there any other siblings in your family? Uh, with, with my mother. Okay. Yeah, I have a, a, a bro I had a brother and a sister with, with my dad. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, and so you didn't grow up speaking any native languages. No, we we grew up knowing words and 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 we. I grew up very very immersed in my in my culture. Very, I I've literally been dancing at powwows since I could walk. Um, so I was always around it, and it just it just didn't. See, I mean, we we knew words and we knew we knew the language. We just didn't speak it really. There's a visual aesthetic in your movies where the guys are pretty schlubby. Normally, they're t-shirt wearers. <laughs> right, the, yeah. The protagonists are t-shirt wearers. Right, right. And then in the scenes where they dance, and again, on the tribal bingo card, um, you actually don't hit a lot of these, but dance is, is especially your first three movies, dance is actually in the title of the movies. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. Um, and so, and you do grass dancing and Guy does fancy dancing, and mm -hmm. it's just so comparatively beautiful to the t-shirt aesthetic. Is that is that an intentional <laughs> thing, or do you guys just are more comfortable in t-shirts? Uh that's interesting. I never thought about that. I'm actually just more, that's probably more a reflection of me. I'm a jeans and t-shirt kind of guy, really, specifically. But, uh, but also, you know, and, and I, made a, I made a short film uh, called Other, and it's about this man who goes to a job interview. And he's, I, it's, it's me, and I'm dressed in my grass dance regalia. And in, in the film, the interview, interviewer asks, can I ask why you're wearing this? And he says, well, the job website to, to wear, said to wear your best, and this is my best. And so, yeah, it's a very specific, like, yeah, when I, when I think of, like, when I think of wearing those clothes, it's very, it's very special, and it's very, it's very meaningful to me, and I, and I, feel, I feel great in them, you know. So I, I think that is very unconsciously a sort of choice that I made, is to, to present them that way. Yeah, well, the, the difference, that's a very funny, I'll put that in the show notes, actually, uh, the Vimeo link. To to other oh yeah because it's, yeah. it's like six minutes long oh it's, yeah it's really short yeah yeah no yeah. it's but it's it's really good it's it's really funny thank you is that a thing that other is not there's no Native American tick box on the identity <laughs> that forms? happened to me before okay. I mean some some form or something that I was filling out was like huh how come there's no Native American box uh, yeah so so the idea is that yeah like the, the person is filling out a, a, a a resident or uh, application and it says you know asian asian uh, african-american whatever and and then other and there's a kind there's no native box so i decided i have to check the other box and so that's what the whole film is about and and i tucked that away in my brain uh for a short film i thought this would make a funny short film at some point and and then um just going about things uh i saw that uh, I think it was the yeah it was the American Indian Film Festival I think it was the 35th anniversary something like that it's like oh I want to be a part of that or I'd like to be a part of that and so I wrote this short film real quick gathered everybody together and we shot it in a day and then uh, knocked it out like in a couple of days just made, made the deadline made the deadline you know just barely and but suddenly but for some strange reason that film that we just knocked out in that is one of my most successful short films. It's been all over the place in Canada, and yeah, that's for some reason that was that that is the one that you know uh, resonated with everyone. But uh, it was a lot of fun to make. Yeah. Well, I think there's a simplicity to it. You know that it's there's just cool. there's one idea. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's very yeah. visually striking. Thanks. Um, 
So is there, did you grow up sort of balancing the, the jeans and t-shirt side of yourself with the grass, <laughs> grass dancer costume traditional side? Not really. I used to be a lot more into clothes in fashion, I guess. Not necessarily fashion, but I guess I, more trendy things. Like during the 80s, I was all into the style or whatever, but I'm a product of the 80s. So that, I guess, you know, music videos is all new to me. But uh, I think as I've grown older, I've just, I just don't care. <laughs> you know? okay. I mean, I, I, I like to dress up, sure, who doesn't, but I, I'm most comfortable in just jeans and t-shirt, but yeah. Yeah, well, I think it, it sort of speaks again to the, the deepening of the Native story that, um, yeah, your, your characters are comfortable in, in, in t-shirts, and it, it feels like your inspirations are, even the characters that you play in your movies are in the movies. And, uh... Oh yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they are, and I sort of, and that sort of goes back to like you know the screenwriting mantras, like you know write what you know, um, and so and and I think there's a little bit of me in all of my characters. There just kind of has to be, um, but yeah, I try to I try to inject myself into into my own characters, and 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 like I said, you know, native people are just like every other people. They're into movies and they watch things, and you know they they're they're we're all subjected to the same pop culture. And I think, uh, you know, Native people um, pick and choose what they want to be into, you know, just like everybody else. Because so we're all fed this, you know, pop culture machine. Um, so it's, it's you know, I, I grew up loving movies, you know, Star Wars changed my life. And so, you know, I'm a sci-fi geek. And so I try to inject a, a little bit of, of that uh, mentality into, into all my stories. If you had the budget, would you make a Native American Star Wars? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yes, I would. But that's funny. But it's funny that you say that because I, I sort of write my movies um, knowing my limitations. Uh, you know, I don't have, I don't set my movies in space, you know, just because uh, I, I try to, I try to work with that, with what I have and in my own, you know, realm of, of, of what, what's possible. And I tell people that all the time. It's like, it's like, I, you know, the biggest piece of, of advice I always have is like, just do it. Just, just make it. You know, don't go in with these grand schemes. Just, just, you know, do what you can do. Well, let's talk about that in the context of your own career, uh, because you said when you made other, you you called people and and you made it in a couple of days. Just, well, I, I yeah. see a lot of the same actors in your movies. Obviously, you sort you oh, sort yeah. of have a team. I do have a team, yes. And you've been doing this um, 15 20 years now. <laughs> yeah. So, so what's the story that uh, how does Rod the guy who goes walks into Star Wars and walks out a, a changed person <laughs> at age whatever, 8 or right. something? I can't remember, yeah. How does that person come because your 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 movies are super low budget. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, they are. Go to yeah. a person who says, "To hell with it! I'm grabbing a camera and making a movie." So tell yeah. us that story. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, the cool thing is, like, uh, yeah, my movies are very, very low budget. I I uh, basically uh, pay for them uh, myself, basically. Uh, but my my mom is my executive producer, and I have other producers. But um, I, but the cool thing is, like, our movies look much bigger than they are. I mean, you know, the zombie film, um, we, it, it looks huge, but it's, we made it for very little. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I just, I just, I just wanted to do it. And it's, it's just, just felt like this is, this is where I wanted to go and this is what I wanted to do. And so I 
want to turn all my energies into that. And like, like now I, I don't, even, I don't have a car. <laughs> you know? I just walk everywhere. I live downtown and, and walk, you know, so I basically, this is the choice I wanted, I wanted to do. So that's kind of, it's kind of where I, I'm at. And how much does it cost to make a movie like, like Dead Can't Well, Dance? the Dead Can't Dance, we spent, I'd see, our budget was probably around 17,000. Okay. Yeah, but it looks it looks much bigger than it is. I mean, I, I've been to film festivals and they're like, "Oh my God, how did you do that for seventeen thousand? You know, uh, but we 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 keep it we keep it very very low. But you're right. I do have a team um, through four features. I've you know gathered this truly hardcore movie loving group uh, that will jump off a bridge with me every time, and they're just they're just amazing people and super hard working and yeah so i i do have the same sort of core group of actors that i use over and over um and i and i tend to cast for instead of like acting experience or ability i, I really tend to cast for um um uh what am i sorry what am i trying to say uh i tend to cast for you know um composure and you know a, a sense of a sense of who they are uh a natural, you know, a naturalness as opposed to acting ability. Um, and everybody's local. It's a, it's everybody's a, local. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Team yeah, Wichita. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, uh, it's funny, like, my my first uh, my first script that I wrote was called Dancing on the Moon, and it was the road trip movie, my first feature script. And I got involved with the Sundance Institute at that point. Uh, and they had a Native American screenwriting program, and so and I just found out about that and... and Submitted my script to them and, act, and actually got in to the screenwriting uh, native screenwriting lab at Sundance, and then after that I submitted uh, my rewrites and I got into the native uh, to the uh, screenwriting lab that happens during the film festival, uh, right before the film festival, and that's that's open to everyone. And through all of that, all of those experiences, I had met several people and I decided to just make. Dancing on the Moon. After I after I went through the screenwriting labs, and uh, hired an actress from LA and, and, and a, a director of photography from Alaska and you know a production manager from Idaho and you just flew everybody in here you know and just just cold off you know no experience just I was like I just decided it wasn't going to get made unless I directed it and made it myself so brought everybody in and and it was a horrible mistake. <laughs> it crashed and burned like crazy. People were clashing. And so I basically fired everyone and put them on a plane back to wherever they came from. And and we were shooting on my friend's farm out in Council Grove. And, and my family was there. And they had planned to camp, you know, for a couple of weeks and make the film. So I went back and sort of just mourned, you know, just mourned the, the, the passing of my film and hung out with my family. But it was one of my best experiences ever was just hanging out with my family and just 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 letting it all go and then um i left the film alone for a long time and then i was like you know what i and the thing about me is that i don't i don't give up so i was like you know i i, I i'm not going to give up so I, I revisited it rewrote it a little bit cast all local friends and family crew and everything and that became my first film yeah and uh and and that first film was like like, and I don't have any formal film training. I mean, I have a huge theater background, um, but I tell everybody that that was the filmmaking school of hard knocks. You know, you sort of really just dive in and figure it out. And and I tell people that all the time. It's like, just just do it. Just dive in and figure it out. You're gonna make mistakes and you're gonna, gonna fail. But I learned incredible things from that first experience. What not to do, 
and then just from doing that first film and and, and dancing on the moon it's it's a very rough film i mean it's very you know it is is my very it's, it's my first film it's supposed to be rough but now it's on youtube we have thousand of uh, twenty thousand views or something maybe, maybe even more i think it's, it's i think it maybe is more now yeah views. yeah yeah and we get comments on it all the time and so i'm just amazed that that i mean you know i mean the that first effort uh that came out of nowhere it still has legs you know like 15 years later people are still now just like finding it and viewing it and uh, you know well, i noticed some of the comments there's comments from people in botswana yeah and denmark <laughs> and mexico it's amazing. yeah and yeah, yeah. And so I think that's the great thing about 21st century filmmaking. One a fun part of your story is that you went to the Sundance Institute and then you went to another Sundance Institute, which yeah. is often like boot camp for Hollywood. And then you came yeah. back to Wichita and, and made movies here, right? So, <laughs> right. Um, that was a funny thing. When I was out there, the first thing I was like, are, are you from New York or L.A.? It's like, I am from Kansas. They're like, Kansas? What are you doing here? <laughs> you know? It was kind of funny, but yeah. No, no. Well, that, that's why it's fun to see Denmark, Denmarkers and, and Botswanans <laughs> commenting because yeah. the story meant something to them, you know, enough yeah. that they would comment. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. If if YouTube is your distribution and, and um, like, what would you do differently about that movie if you had a more polished sensibility? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, knowing what I do now, I mean, the, the, I would, well... Like now, now I have a I have a solid crew and I have a you know people behind me and, and and that film I mean we made with like a handful of people I mean a camera guy and a sound guy and then that was pretty much it I mean you know you know and but just 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 knowing you know I, I would have more more people involved and um, but yeah it's 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 a crazy thing that 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 movie even happened because it I mean talk about DIY. I mean, that was really, really, really DIY, and just, just, and I just had to make it happen. And that's what I tell people all the time: is like, you no, know, just, just, you know, figure it out, and 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 find a friend to hold a light, and you know, <laughs> whatever. So, what year was your was your? Did you go to Sundance for the Native? I think I went. To, okay, I think I went to. I think I went to the first Native Screenwriting Lab at Sundance in two thousand, and I think I went to the actual screenwriting lab in 2001 and then when was your failed attempt to shoot it with it was later that year it's 2001. 2001 yeah yeah uh -huh. it was in the summer of 2001 so like so screen so sundance happens in january so yeah so from january to summer is about when i worked on pre-production how old were you around this time around 2000 2001 i was oh, geez math i was probably that was a turning point i was probably about 35 yeah uh -huh. yeah 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 and that was that was a that was a turning point for me. I, I'd been a journalist for a while yet, a while at that point, and I and I was debating on a career change or, or something. You know, I was just getting not cold feet or not boredom, but I was just like, well, what do I want to do, creatively? And at the time, I was debating on whether or not to quit my job and go to film school or just dive in and figure it out. And so I just that's what I do. I just dive in and figure things out. So that's that's how I came about. Like, well. I'll start off writing a screenplay, and so that's how I got involved with uh, Sundance and all that stuff was 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 writing and and figuring out. And I, I I did a lot of research and studying on my own. And one of my biggest inspirations was uh, Robert Rodriguez, who wrote uh, Rebel Without a Crew. He and he talked about uh, making his first film. And at the end of the book, he said, "You make the movie, I'll bring the popcorn." And that was really my biggest inspiration. It's like, well, okay, I'll just do that. 
Yeah, yeah. And even in, in his book, he was like, just do it. Just figure it out. You're going you're gonna to make mistakes. And, you know. So that was really a big inspiration for me. Did that book come out mid-90s? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So that's when sort of the penny dropped that maybe you could just do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember when he came out, I think El Mariachi was like a $7,000 uh, he, he, he raised seven thousand dollars by subjecting himself to scientific experiments. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there was that dual. Also, there was the the example of Quentin Tarantino back there, the video store clerk. You know. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Robert Rodriguez, obviously an inspiration. Star Wars, an inspiration. Yeah. Anything else as you were sort of coming into the idea of this guy who actually could make movies <laughs> and then or tell stories? What are what are some influences on your yeah, I mean, tell me stories. I mean, and actually, another film that was that was a big inspiration for me was um, Little Big Man, um, and Dustin Hoffman. Dustin movie. Hoffman, yeah, yeah, uh, Chief Dan George. I remember when I was little seeing that, and and in that, Chief Dan George is very funny, and he sort of makes. I mean, they make fun of sort of the native Indian stereotypes. I thought, well, this is cool. Native people are funny. I mean, we're funny people, you know, and so. I mean, that's not what I meant. But I mean, you know, it, it's like I could relate to that. It's like that for the first time, it wasn't the stoic, you know, what at the time I didn't know it was, it was a stereotype, but that's what it was. That was that's what I had always seen us represented as. And, and that was the really first time I was like, I could laugh at this. And this, so that was really a big inspiration for me is like, you know, have fun with your storytelling and, 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 uh, and have fun. So that was, that was, that was another inspiration. Could you make a stoic Native American movie? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> it would be funny. It would have to be funny. It would have to be really. It would have to be. It would have to be a comedy. And that's that's another another genre. I haven't exact. I mean, my films are humorous, and I have. I like to have fun with them, but I haven't done a straight out comedy yet. And I I do want to do that. That's that's one of my goals. So. Let's talk real quick about Red Hand. Sure. Which is what, what I haven't seen. So it's a time travel movie with also a Native American component. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was... Um, so the film is about a man with the power to heal who time travels from the future to modern day times to uh, save someone who's going to be pivotal in... Uh, or to rescue someone who's going to be pivotal in saving the Native American race. So it's sort of Terminator-ish. It is. And when I was writing it, I was thinking... Uh, uh, a native Terminator meets the Matrix is is how I've always pitched it, and it is very Terminatorish. The the and in the future there's this all you know all um, encompassing race that has taken over. It's called the Nation. You know, it's very totalitarianism, and uh, they send do send someone to hunt them down uh, in the future, and it's very 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 Terminatorish. But uh, but this film was actually inspired by a short film that I made uh, called The Burden of Being. And I shot this uh, in Los Angeles uh, through the LA Skins Fest. And I was chosen for a director's initiative with them uh, that was sponsored by CBS. We workshopped it at, at CBS uh, through the, and also through the Writers Guild. And this short film is called The Burden of Being. And in it, a Native Amer it took place in the future and a Native American man was imprisoned for speaking his tribal language. In the future. In the future, yeah. So Red Hand was a spawn of that. So in, in the Red Hand universe, that all happened. And so in the future, that all happened. And then there was this underground network of rebels that, was, that, was, that were building up, trying to preserve their native race and learning about it from these books that they had never seen. And so this woman in the future was a technological genius, and she was going to devise 
this uh, virus basically to take down the nation's all-encompassing computer system. But she was working on something and, and in, in the history, you know, in our modern time, there's this man, this native man who was working on something that could have, she could have used, and so it, it all sort of ties together. And so she invents this time machine to come back and rescue this man. And so it's a, a, a female protagonist? In the future it is. In the future. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and where, what kind of reach do your films have? I know that you do film festival circuits. Um, some of your stuff is on YouTube. Is it? Is it? Are they available on any other platforms? Um, yeah. Well, the Dead Cat Dance is available on Amazon. Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, for streaming and rental or download, whatever, on DVD also. Uh, but other than that, really, just uh, just YouTube. Um, yeah, and and film festivals like we're just now, just now wrapped Red Hand. Um, we just had our first film festival in LA, and then um, hopefully we'll have a nice festival run at least a good festival run of like a year, year and a half, something like that. So we're just now getting started promoting that, that, that phase of it. And, and that's another, that's another thing, like, like just in, in learning about filmmaking, like after I finished Dancing on the Moon, like shooting it and, and, and showing it for the first, I was like, okay, I'm done. You know, no, 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 no. <laughs> There's a whole other, like a whole other business aspect of it that you sort of have to put on a new set of armor and get ready to go into the gauntlet of like, like trying to promote yourself and get into film festivals and it's it's a whole other animal unto itself but it but it is a it's a very it's 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 a part of it you know it's a very part of 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 making a film it's i mean the whole point of making a film is to get it shown and to get it seen yeah but but there's so much out there just even on regular tv there's so much everybody's all vying for the same set of eyes to be seen and so it's really a lot of work to get your to get your work seen and get it noticed but it's a whole other it's a whole different phase that we're just now heading into with red hand so hopefully uh hopefully we'll get out there yeah is that a tough balance i mean you still work at the wichita eagle i mean the yeah it's a is whole that a lot. juggling getting time off to go all these to all these film festivals? Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, um, but uh, it, it, it's it's a, like I said, it's a, it's a whole other phase of work, and it is a lot of work. I mean, self promotion is is a lot of work, but um, it's also cool. I mean, you know, when, once you like I said, like the reason you make movies is to share them and, and show them. So, going to these film festivals or or other other uh, venues. Um, like this time around, we're a very sci-fi movie, very niche movie. So I really want to explore alternative venues like sci, you know, comic cons, things like that. And that within the movie, there's a comic book within the movie. So I really want to explore some different avenues. But um, but but yeah, it's it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of it's a lot it's a lot it's a full-time job unto itself. I mean, especially if you're just very DIY like we are. I mean, I mean, a lot of independent films can just turn it over to a producer's rep and hire it and you know hire them and say hey promote this and do this or or, or PR agency but at our level we're very all DIY and, and and like I said I have a, a big, very cool crew behind me I have assistant director BJ Hatter who is just my I don't know what I would do without him he's just my he keeps me sane and keeps me on target and he's and he's he's much more than assistant director he's just he's just he's, he's through it all with me and uh, and I all of my crew is like that i mean you know if i need anything with any any aspect of the film they just jump right in so i noticed you, you your music your uh, films have good music too mm. that the, there's uh, in fact that's another juxtaposition you have t-shirts and then the grass dancing costumes but then 
rock. There's a lot of rock. <laughs> yeah, then, I'm a rock guy. I've, I've always been into, uh, been into rock. And so, yeah, like in The Dead Can't Dance, uh, we uh, used all, I wanted, like I said, I'm very pro-Kansas and very pro-Wichita, so I wanted to showcase local bands. And so at the time, my assistant at that time put out a call on Facebook, said, hey, you want to be in a movie? Send us your music. And so... Uh, we sort of culminated it from that, and yeah, so all all local bands. But then also, there's very traditional music too. Yes. And um, you know, in the dancing scenes in particular, to my ear, that just sounds so out of central casting Indian music. I mean, where do you where do you get that? And, and um, the, is the, it... yeah, the music in um, sleep. Well, the music in Dancing on the Moon was. Uh, was live. I had you know, we shot that at a powwow in Kansas, uh, Pottawatomie Reservation, during their their powwows, and um, so that was all live. And, and I had uh, my my friends that are singers and sing that music for me. Uh, in in Sleep Dancer, the the family drama one, um, it's a it's a film about a man who suffered a personal tragedy, and he he, he can only find peace when he dances in his sleep. And that music uh, was. Uh, sung by a drum group called The Tribe out of Lawrence, Kansas. And they've always been one of my favorite drum groups. And um, they were gracious enough to let me use their, to let me use their music. Um, and in Dancing on the Moon, I mean, I mean uh, The Dead Can't Dance. It's funny, I have so many dance titles in, in my repertoire. But in The Dead Can't Dance, uh, that music was given to me specifically by a very revered singer, uh, a Ponca man. And he made tapes for me when I was young growing up dancing that I could practice to and so I had these tapes sitting around and converted them to digital and that's the music that I used which I thought was another kind of cool personal tie was that these were specifically made for me and I got to share them in my film. What role does native music play in your life? I mean do you sit do you listen to those tapes as you might listen to a double live album? You know I I don't I don't some people do um we, I sometimes do if I'm traveling or or things like that, but I I don't just have it on, you know. Uh, but some people do. Uh, describe powwow culture, because that might be something that that my listeners don't really fully understand. It is very. It is a very. It's a culture. It's a very. Yeah. It's a very strong culture. Um, and that go, does that go across cultural lines? Or is it specific to tribal um, identities? Uh, and it, it goes along. It it, it it crosses lines. I mean, it's sort of a universal, uh, in a way. I mean, it's sort of all, all tribal sort of culture, I guess you could say. Um, but like I said, I grew up going to them and just immersed in them. And it's a very, it creates a very closeness. Uh, I have lifelong friends that I've grown up, um, and, and friends isn't even a strong enough word but just grew up with these people uh, dancing and going to the same powwows year after year. Where do they take place? Uh, we always, well, all, all across the country, mm-hmm. but uh, mostly we went to Oklahoma. Like on, uh, on fairgrounds or community centers? or Yeah, um, sometimes uh, 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 tribes have their own um, dance grounds on their reservations, or sometimes they're at fairgrounds, uh, places like that. In Wichita, we used to have them at the Cedric County Park. Um, now they, they used to have them uh, at the at, at the Inn Center, like we said, behind there. Um, so yeah, so and and they're hosted by they're, they're basically just celebrations of dance and celebrate and you know and they have uh, dancing competitions, and so 
mostly they're just big celebrations. And so tribes will host, tribes will host them. Uh, uh, people who've gotten together, like uh, there's like a, uh, for instance, there's like an intertribal Indian club of Tulsa, you know, so people have gotten together in, in cities to, ha to host them. So it's, yeah, there's just different, and there's, they range from like, very small, like 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 community gatherings to really big sprawling festivals. Like there's a gathering of nations that happens in Albuquerque. That's just this big, huge stadium-filled powwow. That's you know that draws thousands from year you know from all around. So they really and sprawl and range from from very small intimate gatherings to these big huge spectacles so it's a very it's a it's a culture and people travel i mean people travel across the country year-round going to them and uh, some of them like i said uh there are dancing competitions so some of them compete and for some of these people that's their job is dancing at these powwows and going from powwow to powwow and, and you know and some of them have offer um from prize money into thousands to you know to, to 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 trophies you know it's so it's a very it's a very broad uh spectrum but it's a very very tight culture even though they range in on all these different sizes but you know i've traveled all over the country going to them um uh, but uh i've like if i if i dance at a powwow we i for instance and been in california or florida but i've never ever I mean, they always felt comfortable, you know. Now, you always seem to be grass dancing, and Guy always seems to be fancy dancing. What's the difference? I mean, I mean, it seems like it's not, you sort of stay in your lane dancing-wise. Yeah, they are very, yeah. If you have a style, it's that's your style. Uh, and it's just uh, one that we chose. I, I grew up fancy dancing and then, and then crossed over to grass dancing just because I... I was interested in that, you know. What's the difference, I mean, for the well, white person? Well, um, so, like, uh, uh, the original, like, fancy dancing emerged from uh, the original war dance. And what that is is just, it, it, it sort of evolved into this sort of modern, uh, uh, you know, showman type of, you know, you know show, 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 be fancy, you know, show, show me what you got. So that sort of emerged in that. Grass dance uh, was uh, once uh, brought on the plains, and it, it originally was said that uh, the grass dancers would uh, would be brought out to like to flatten the grass and and you know, and so for a campsite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, so there there and it's also based on the regalia. Like the fancy dancers, they have a set of uh, feather bustles on their back and very very showy. And uh, the grass dancers uh, like to, to flatten the grass, and their wardrobe is uh, to symbolize like uh, blades of grass, like with long flowing ribbons and things like that. So it's it's very so it's, that's indicative of their style. One of the characters in Dancing on the Moon is a woman who talks to the characters at like a rest stop on the highway. Oh yeah, and casually mentions that she might be part Native American um, and, and actually says some things about powwows and is sort of shot down by, by one of the characters. All right. That's another interesting strain in your movies that there's sort of a projection. Well, one, there's the old grandma's a Cherokee princess uh, trope in American <laughs> culture. Right, you know, yeah. the, the idea that, and I'm curious to know what you think about this, you know, just the idea that, you know, a, around the time that, that um, America as a nation had sort of 
pushed its way from coast to coast, then there was this romanticized idea that uh, people were going to appropriate a genealogy that may or may not apply to their own life. <laughs> yeah. But then also your, your mixed race characters in your movies um, sort of have a longing to be more Indian in a sense. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to know just the ways you tried to explore this. I mean, you're, a full, you're full-blooded, but this longing for native identity among people who either are from a mixed identity or have no connection to it at all, but somehow want to project themselves into that. Right, right, yeah. No, I've always found that interesting. It's like, I, yeah, I, I've, never, I've never quite understood it either. Um, but it is always sort of an inside joke, you know, that, that that's, like, like you said. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I just injected that because it's sort of a commonality that we all experience. And, um, is it sort of an eye-rolling thing? It like, is, where, kind there's of. There's another white person who thinks maybe they... Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not, you know, not to be rude, but I mean, it, it, it kind of is. It's like, oh, okay. And, uh, and we've all heard it, and we've, we've all experienced it for, for some reason. I don't know why. But uh, that's, that's kind of, I guess, why I included it. But it's also, I mean, like in my films, I, I, I want to, like I said, with when I watched Little Big Man, I was like, oh, I can relate to that. And so like in my films, I really want to, I mean, uh, the cool thing that I've heard about the Dead Can't Dance is like uh, native native people watch it and, and, and like, oh, I can relate to that. That's cool, you know, we're funny. But, but without being preachy or without, be, I mean, you know, sort of, sort of I, I really want my work, even though it's not, it's not, really typically native if there is a thing but I want it to feel like an inside job you know I want it to feel like uh, this is from a native person's point of view without it being you know really preachy well yeah your your, your sensibility isn't strident you know right you're, yes you're not like angry native no. American filmmaker yeah 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 and yeah. in fact there's some funny scenes like in um in dancing on the moon where the characters are sort of running they're lost at night and they hear these noises and they think maybe it's wild dogs <laughs> yeah. and then the viewer sort of realizes before the characters do that it's like no those are geese <laughs> right. right yeah yeah and then guy's character <laughs> says yeah we're not from the city are we so, <laughs> right. right yeah 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 so yeah, I want to. I also want to. Yeah, you know, make fun of ourselves. You know, yeah. So was that a very intention, intentional pushback to, yeah. to the the communion with nature? <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we're really native. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so why do you? And, and actually, that's another thing is that even in this conversation, you said you don't want to judge the person who's trying to project Indian. Oh Indian yeah, no, because they're so, just trying to be nice. You know. Right. I think there's an earnestness to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then, uh, yeah, I think there's a niceness to even the characters you play. Like, Guy is always a little bit, Guy's characters are always a little bit Guy-like, and then Rod's <laughs> characters are a little bit Rod-like. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Guy's characters are, are surlier. And, and in, in fact, I remember the first time I, I met Guy, um, you had that conversation, what do you do? And he said, oh, I dive oil rigs in Seattle or something. And then I'm watching the movie uh, Sleep, Sleep Dancer, and oh, that's yeah. what his character does. Exactly. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it feels like you there's a sense to which you couldn't. Well, actually, here's another question. Did you guys train as actors, you and your brother? I trained. My brother did not. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was so good. I mean, he was just very naturalistic. And when I was, I wrote Dancing on the Moon. I wrote his role for him in Dancing on the Moon. But I had him read very early on, uh, just 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 sort of table read some stuff. And I just I guess kind of knew he would he would be good. You know, I just kind of knew he could do it. 
and uh, and he did great. Yeah, I mean, Dancing on the Moon was his first first time acting ever, but it was really just a very naturalistic performance. Like like I said, I tend to cast for um, persona as a as opposed to to acting experience, and and he really just sort of he just he just nailed it, and he he won a Best Actor award from the Los Angeles Film. Native Film and TV Awards, something like that. But yeah, for yeah. Dancing on the Moon. For Dancing on the Moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I saw his performance, I wasn't surprised because he's sort of a big personality. He type is. Guy. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. You, you guys, yeah. as brothers, are sort of an odd couple pairing. Cause We're very different. Yeah. You're. you're yeah. I get the sense you could. You can disagree, but you're super quiet in a sense, and yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Guy knows everybody, or he'll t he'll talk to anybody. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. A friend of mine once said that she was just sort of just sitting back watching us at, at some point and. And my brother, she said, my brother was, uh, I was like, yeah, look at me, and just big, and you know, just taking it in. But I was just there, I was like, I was taking it all in, you know, I was just experiencing and watching, and, and yeah, so that, that kind of actually sums us up, yeah. Could you, is Guy in, in your new movie? Is he in Red Hand? He is not. Okay. It's the first How feature, that? That's... first feature he's on. And that was mostly because he wasn't here. He's off working, uh, you know, now he, he, he does pipeline work, and so okay. he's, off, he's off working. I think he's in Connecticut right now or something, but yeah. And uh, he also lives in Oklahoma now. So, but, but yeah, so this is my first feature without him. Did he get a kick out of being your your main your main actor? Oh yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, and in Dancing on the Moon, I mean, uh, uh, The Dead Can't Dance, it was difficult for him because he was already he was living in Oklahoma at that point. He was already working, and so it was difficult for him to come back. So uh, we had to you know, schedule scheduling wise, it was it was very difficult for him. But. Uh, but yeah, he would just come back and work and work and work and then go off and and and, and uh, do his own thing. But uh, but yeah, no, he he liked that. He likes acting. Yeah. Going back to Dead Can't Dance, has has is there a native community? Um, how can I phrase this? I mean, that almost seems like a, a movie that someone would want to say. Uh, we want to make an adaptation of Dead Can't. I mean, it's such an elegant idea, the Native American zombie movie. Oh has, yeah. Has that happened? Have you had any filmmakers who say, I want to? Make a ten million dollar Hollywood version of this movie? Ah, uh, no, 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 it hasn't. And and is there a community you have? You must have colleagues in the Native American community that you see at film festivals yes. or connections. Uh -huh. I mean, how does how does the business side of that work? Um, That's interesting. Outside of Wichita. Uh, that is interesting. It, it, there is definitely uh, a network of of people making movies and telling stories and you do sort of see them at the same film festivals over and over and there are, there are different levels of that. There are very grassroots people like us and then, and then make friendships and, and see people at film festivals. But there are also like higher level of, of <laughs> I guess, of, of the ones that get into Sundance, the ones that get into, you know, Toronto or whatever. But uh, everybody's cool for the most part. I mean, because I mean, it's hard enough getting your movies made and seen and then and then what but you sort of get to know these people and they're all it's a it's a network of people it's it's just like networking just in, in any other form but there you definitely do see the same set of people at, at film festivals and uh things like that i remember seeing a movie called smoke signals in the mid 90s uh -huh. yeah chris air yeah is that was that sort of a turning point film? Like I don't, I don't recall having seen a film before that about. Uh, that was really that was really a uh, that that was a turning point. Yeah, I mean it won the audience award at Sundance, um, and then uh, that director Chris Eyre really became sort of uh, everybody wanted to be that. 
you know, n the native filmmakers when wanted that uh, Cinderella story to happen to them. Um, and that film got distribution, it got theatrical distribution, and that's sort of always the goal, you know, if you will. Um, so, so yeah, so that film was really sort of, uh, I mean, that film really sort of set the bar for, it's like, and it was also the first time that people, I think, native filmmakers said, hey, this could happen to me, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, that film was really a break, a, a turning point in a lot of different ways, yeah. That was based on a Sherman Alexie short yeah. story collection as well. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, in, in retrospect, I don't know how much of a Sherman Alexie fan you are, but I'm, I'm pretty keen on his work. Mm -hmm. uh, just the idea of how young he was back then when he was writing those stories. And oh, like, yeah. There was this buzz about, you know, Richard Linklater and Kurt Cobain. There's all these Gen X icons. And in retrospect, it's like, why wasn't Sherman Alexie part of that? He should have been, yeah. Um, zeitgeist, because he was so young and so successful and so smart. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, st and still is. He's not as young as he used to be. But oh, right, no, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah, uh, just very prolific and very, yeah. I mean, and, and his stories are just very. Like I said, they have a sense of place about them too. I mean, and they're very, very, very set in their own universe, but but not, but but very accessible. And he has some urban stories too. I mean, yeah. the Spokane Reservation uh, plays um, big in his stories, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of Seattle and and Spokane, uh, Washington, short stories settings as well. Oh, cool. So okay, this is I'm going to jump. This is a complete aside. We both grew up in Wichita. There was no filmmaking community in Wichita to speak of, except for King Kung Fu. Do you remember <laughs> King Kung Fu? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've never seen it. but It uh, is horrible. <laughs> it is. It is uh, and, yeah. and again, for my listeners, and I don't even know if this is going to make it into the final version of the podcast, but it's about <laughs> King... It's like a Kung Fu movie, but also has the, the, the mythos of King Kong in it. And so it's yeah. like a... Yeah. It's it's really really not good, <laughs> and, but it was shot. It was back in the days when you had to shoot on film. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a it's it's a miracle it got made. So, yeah. 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 It, it makes you realize that like having a local voice. I think technology. You can disagree with me, but like without technology, you couldn't be doing what you're doing. Your voice from the middle of the country telling a very specific story. Yeah. Because I'm sure those people meant well. Oh um, yeah, and that they yeah, had yeah. that they loved their ideas, but the limitations of the film medium. I think they spent like six figures trying to get that made. Oh, probably, and it just it just wasn't very good, you know. Mm. Whereas you can quietly for seventeen thousand dollars make a, a much richer story. Hmm. So, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that's you're completely correct. I mean, today's technology allows people like me to 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 make movies, and 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 really, I mean, anybody can. It's just have to have the drive and determination I mean again you know I say like you just do it you kind of have to like I mean going into the dead hand dance I I was like okay do you really want to do this I mean even just writing the script I mean it's I mean going into the going in, into a feature like that it's it's like it's, it's it's years of your life it literally is years of your life and and then and then heading into red hand again I was like Okay, I had the story set, and I knew the story I wanted to tell. I was like, okay, do you really, really, really want to do this? Because it's going to be, it's going to be torture at times, you know, getting it done and getting it made. And I mean, it's so, it can be so stressful. I mean, halfway through the Dead Can't Dance, I just wanted to 
dig a hole and bury myself in it and just forget about all of it. And, and heading into Red Hand is like, okay, remember that. Remember how you felt that at some point. But, and then, and during Red Hand too, there were some really dark moments, but I guess I just, I guess it's just something that I just, I have to do, you know, um, uh, I, I always heading into a film, heading into pre-production, I always design a poster. It doesn't have to be the end poster that I end up with, but I design a poster and that makes it real to me. Just seeing it in some, some form that's, that's after everything that you're going to go through. But, but you're right. There's, there's a point that you really have to wrestle with. Oh my God, is this, I do, I really want to do this. And, and, and at some point you just give into it and say, yeah, I do. I know this is going to be crazy and I know it's going to be up and down and it's going to, I know at some point I'm going to wish I didn't do this, but you just, you just dive right in and I guess I just have to do it. You know, if I, I want to be a storyteller and I want to tell the film and, 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 and when we're making a movie, I always look forward to the point where I can just look at someone and hand over a DVD and say, hey, here's my movie, check it out. But getting to that point is a very labor-intensive, you know, soul-bearing, soul-struggling ordeal. But I guess just getting through it uh, is, is part of the process. And, uh, and even just like when, when we had our premiere for Red Hand here in Wichita last month, we were up uh, 8, 9 a.m. the night before we were showing it, still trying to burn a you know Blu-ray and get it and get it done uh, before the premiere that night, and got a few hours of sleep, and then and then just you know it was all kind of a blur. But when we showed it at the LA Skins Fest in Los Angeles, it was at the Chinese theaters there, and uh, and once we got there, it's like okay, I don't care what happens, I'm just gonna hear, I'm mean, just here to enjoy my my film. I don't care if anybody comes, you know, whatever. I'm here. And so I sat down in a big, huge theater screen, and it was the first time in, in a theater setting, and, and I, I'd, I'd seen the film thousands of times already. But that was really the first time that I just sat down and just watched it in a theater experience and just took it all in. And, and, I, was like, and I looked over to my friends that came with me. I was like, we did this. This is amazing. I mean, we, we did this, yeah. And so it's just really a cool, cathartic moment, and I guess, I guess maybe that's why... I, I do it, you know, I mean, just to, just to have that experience and just to have that, uh, that feeling of having done it and uh, here's my story that I get to share. Do you think like eight-year-old Rod who walked out of Star Wars would be tickled with um, 20? Oh, um, oh, yeah. How old you are now, Rod? Oh, oh I'm 51. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I think so, yeah, because I, when, I, when I saw Star Wars, I mean, the thing about that was that uh, I came out of it thinking, oh my God, the universe is huge. I am, I am just a speck and there's so much out there, you know, so it's just exciting for me to know that. And so, yeah, I think, I think, I think, yeah, I think, I think I might've been 10 at that point. I can't remember. But yeah, I think 10 year old Rod knowing that I had now made four movies, I think would be like, yeah, that's kick ass. <laughs> This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts. More about everything that was just mentioned, including trailers for Rod's movies and short films, can be found in the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. And as always, you can contact me with questions or insights at deviate at rolfpotts.com. This episode was produced by Justin Glow. Music is by Cedar Van Tassel. Jan Futterman does the show notes. 
Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in for future episodes of Deviate with Rolf Potts. Mm-hmm.